0: Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Dying to Live by Dr. Stu Robinson. I'm delighted to be here. At last, after all of these years of following along with members of this congregation, you are in your own place. And what a place it is. I've investigated everything from the rooms here out to the toilets and up into the lofts. I've been all over it. I've inquired how much money you still owe the bank. And (laughs) the Lord will move someone today to give $940,000. It'll be paid for. But I met one visionary person, a lady I've known ever since she was in primary school. We grew up neighbours on Kyanawa Road over in Lindham. And she said to me, Stuart, this is a great place, but it is not the last place. This is merely a pause we're having. God's going to cause us to grow and we'll need other places. Oh, I love that. I love that. Where are you, Jacqueline? Oh, she's, she's out with the children. Okay, that was Jacqueline. And you, you need to have that vision of God is going to do great things. I remember in 2005 down at Crossway, I announced to our people that I believe God had said to me, we're going to grow to 10,000 in the church. And of course, not many believed that. But last year in 2018, the administration there told me we've reached 10,000 at last. So it happens. It happens. We had to move five different times and you've had to move many times in your history. Don't stand still. Keep moving with God. So delightful to be here with you today in this lovely place, Uh, outside somewhere there where you'll see Margaret after this service. Yes, I brought along some books, those of you who weren't here last year or didn't have a chance to buy last year or whatever, you'll see them today. I don't want to spend much time on them. I'm happy to sign them for you if you bring them to me after the service. One of the ministries in which I'm involved, I think I mentioned it briefly last year, is a a mission we've established called Shelter, Shelter Now International. It now has offices in about four or five countries, and we work in all the toughest places of, uh, shall I say, Central Asia. I don't want to be overly specific. But these are the places to which no tourist is ever going to go uh, unless they want a life of adventure or maybe come out carried in a box. It's in those sort of difficult countries where killing just goes on and on. And uh, we are there. And the thing that we need more than anything else are people who will join us in intercession for the spiritual warfare which rages over these territories. And it is severe, and I often wonder how some of our staff can avoid coming out without having PTSD, the post-traumatic stress syndromes, because we you're ministering to people, there's a young girl and uh, she's got no hair, because a few years ago, in front of her, all of her friends and relatives were killed. And with that, the shock was so great that all her hair fell out. She's never spoken a word since. And a year ago, we prayed for her. Nothing has changed. Or what do you say to a young man who says, well, you can now go back to your village. It's, it's been cleared. There's no more fighting. The bad guys have all gone. And he said, why would I go back there? On the last day I was there, 47 of my relatives were killed in front of me and I'm the only one still alive. What do you say to someone like that? Or what do we do with all of the children that have been born to sex slaves and nobody wants them? They cannot go back to any community. They are just out there and there are hundreds and hundreds of these sort of children. How do you minister in that situation? On and on I could go, but I just... Drop these things on you because the thing we need more than anything else is deliberate intercession. And I have a goal of reaching 300 intercessors raised up from Australia this year. It can be done. And if you want to be a part of it, go and see Margaret at the book counter out there. She's just got a blank sheet of paper, put your name and your email address on that sheet of paper and once a month, you get a very simple general prayer thing, which is written by me, but it won't have my name on it. It comes out in the name of El Rock. We don't even mention shelter on it, because that's got the spiritual information in it. Once a quarter, you'll get a, a bigger publication, which talks about all the projects we're involved in. Those are the things you've got to do in cooperation with government to be in those sort of countries. You can't avoid that, and it's right that we should be doing those sort of things. We care for the whole person, body, mind, and spirit, and that'll come out once a quarter, but there'll be no mention. That's a public document. No mention of anything spiritual in that document. And you understand why we have to operate in this way because always lives are at stake. So I just put that before you as a something you might uh, consider. Today I'm going to talk on something which is not particularly nice. But 35 years ago, in my own church down in Melbourne, the home of the Melbourne Storm, you've heard of that football team, haven't you? The Mel- we know that, the Melbourne Storm, the rugby league champions. They, um, 35 years ago, I felt moved to speak on the subject of same-sex relationships when no one ever mentioned that. It wasn't on the agenda anywhere, but I felt that's what God wanted me to do. People were shocked, some were upset, some left the church, but I did it anyway. And of course, 35 years later, now what do we find? It's all over the place. And so today I'm doing a similar thing, because as I travel the world, and I was interested in being distant from Australia, seeing the election happening here, and my estimation is that God has given us a three to six year reprieve at most. Those forces which were so poised to crash in on the church, to wreak destruction throughout our nation, have been pushed back by the miraculous, so it is said, the election of Mr. Morrison as our Prime Minister. But those forces have not gone away. They've been pushed back, they've been delayed, but they're more furious and hateful than ever before. And in this intervening period, if the church does not stand up, then what will happen? Six years or so, I hope. (laughs) Three to six years on the election cycles from now. Because whether you understand it or not, this is a unique nation. You are living in a tolerant protected, affluent bubble. And I do not find another nation like this as I go around the world again and again and again every year because every country to where I go, Christians are under increasing pressure of persecution. And it's happening on a massive scale. John chapter 12 just a couple of verses to center our thoughts. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. The pastor was forced to kneel, and I bring you today simply stories and information of the countries in which I work and travel. And he was surrounded by his enemies, He was invited to accept Islam to become a Muslim or be killed. And that always, that invitation has to be given. That is within Islamic theology, that you must invite the person to become a Muslim. And if they refuse, okay, he's now confirmed an infidel, a resister, he may be killed. The pastor prayed a final prayer after he had refused the invitation... And then he said, please tell my people that I remained faithful to Jesus and I am now enjoying his presence. And then he was killed. This is the commonest scene that I encounter in country after country the places to which I go of 21st century persecution of Christians. And it's this about which I want to talk to you today. I don't know whether I'll be around in another 35 years as I was 35 years ago talking on what's coming down the tube on same-sex relationships. But some of you will be here 35 years from now. And with the government re- uh, elected, the Morrison government elected, we have this interregnum, this little interview, inter- interval of peaceful existence. But the opportunity is there for the church also to stand up. And if not, if not, you see the most frequent message that I hear and see from Christian preachers on television screens and in pulpits if ever I have the opportunity to plug into something happening in the West, the most repeated message is God loves us. And that's true. And that's a good message. But in saying that, it almost seems as if we've placed humankind at the very center of God's attention. And that many people seem to be teaching that God is ready to fulfill all of our desires. All we have to do is press the right prayer button. And then God will make us healthy and wealthy, hopefully wise and succeed in every endeavor that we can think up. And our cultural and personal expectations have led us to reinterpret selectively the Bible in ways which are more comfortable for our existence. But regardless of what we might think about God's love, which Jesus defines as obedience, that's the measure of our love, what is undeniable is that more than the subject of the love of God. Jesus taught far more about the subject of persecution. And because of the negative feelings which might arise within us, at the very mention of the word persecution, we tend to overlook or suppress that. When Jesus was sending out his disciples on their first assignment. You can read of it in Matthew 10, Luke 10. He said to them, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. And wolves, like dingoes, whenever they get hold of a sheep, they just tear it apart. They don't eat it. They just kill it and move on and kill and kill and kill. And so the image is clear, what Jesus was saying His disciples needed to anticipate. And he went on to say that his followers would be arrested and flogged, betrayed, hated, persecuted, no matter where they fled. And if we missed that, 11 of the 12 apostles died violently in Europe, Africa, and Asia. And for the following 300 years, the church existed as an underground movement as Roman emperors tried repeatedly to exterminate all the followers of Jesus. And that persecution started with Nero. It finished with the 10th Roman emperor called Diocletian. And during that era, Countless thousands upon thousands of men and women and children died. They gave their blood for the faith which they would not forsake. If ever you get the chance to go to the city of Rome, make sure you allow time to go on a little tour of the underground catacombs. These places where the Christians worshipped and lived and were killed and buried. 25 kilometers of those tunnels under the city of Rome, the places where our forebears, our spiritual forebears, worshipped and lived. And Diocletian even had a special coin made. And on the coin was struck the words, the Christian religion is destroyed. The worship of the Roman gods is restored. (laughs) But instead of being destroyed... The underground Christians pressured to death through persecution. They became a lean, keen, disciple-making machine. And they thrived for those three centuries. And the church multiplied. John 15, verses 18 to 20, Jesus said, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Elsewhere in Matthew 24, he said, you know, you can tell by the the sign of my coming, because there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be earthquakes. We see all of those. There's going to be hatred. You will be hated. And that's arising all over the place. And then he says, and this gospel will be preached to the whole of creation. Last year, the last 118 unreached people groups that had no work amongst them were designated and taken up by sundry mission agencies around the world. The last of them. How close are we coming to the return of our Lord? But with it, there comes all of this other tribulation. One research organization a couple of months ago reported that in 2018, there were 1,266 churches and Christian buildings were attacked and destroyed. 4,136 Christians killed. 265 arrested and put in prison without trial. And 215 million Christians suffered under the impress of persecution. That was last year. The estimate for 2019 is that this year, 200, uh, 245 million believers are going to be affected. In the Muslim world, at least six women are raped and forced into marriage, so one report says, every day. In Pakistan, Christians live in fear of the blasphemy laws in that country, which are applied particularly to, uh, to them, because the penalty for the blasphemy to break for blasphemy of charge is death. And if someone wants to get your property, they just accuse you of blasphemy, you're thrown into prison. And a Christian's testimony stands for nothing, because officially a Christian's testimony can only be a half of that of, of a Muslim. So you've got no chance at court. A more recent law has been passed which says that Christians will do all the filthiest, dirtiest, smelliest work around the place on behalf of the majority community. And they live in that situation. In Syria, in recent years, the Christian population has been reduced by 74%. Next door, in Iraq... The Christian population has been suppressed by 88%. Just 12% of them remaining. This is the Middle East. This is the birthplace of Christianity. And if nothing changes, there will be no Christians left in the Middle East within the next few years. The worst persecution, of course, occurs wherever Sharia law of Islam governs. 38 of the top 50 nations of the world are Muslim nations where persecution is most severe. A couple of weeks ago, in the city of Abinda, in northern Burkina Faso, that's central West Africa, 82 pastors, 151 households, 1,145 Christians were told to get out of town or you'll be killed within three days. That was the challenge. The Islamists brought them. Many of them fled. Not all of them made it. I think about 116 were killed. But in that city now, there's not a single Christian. And not just in that city. In the city of Dablo, Silgadija, these are Burkina Faso cities. These are ghost towns now, as far as Christianity is concerned. The Christians have all been driven out. In Mali, next door, things are not much better. We saw that dreadful event over in Christchurch a few months ago where that crazy guy killed Muslims in their mosques, a dreadful and rightfully condemned event. But I don't know what it was like up here, but down in my city, every day for a week, virtually the first 10 pages of our major daily newspapers had nothing other than that event. And yet... A couple of months before that, when 300 Christians were killed in Nigeria, it didn't even make page 92 a single paragraph in our press. And the Nigerian Christian leaders say in recent years about 6,000 believers have been killed in their country, but it never gets reported here. And one wonders why this is so. Back in about November of last year, a report was commissioned by the UK government and the preliminary report has just come out in June and in a couple of months the final report will come out. But what it says in the government report is that there is now no doubt about it, that around the world, Christians are now the most persecuted people and in some countries it has reached genocide level. But the question in the report says, why has nobody mentioned this in all of this time? And the answer was given, we are silenced by political correctness. And so we're all mute. One Christian in a country where persecution is common was asked this question. When did persecution increase in your country? And this was his answer. When the church in the West became weak, stopped praying, and missions were no longer their priority, that's when the persecution picked up in our country. In other words, when we opted out of the spiritual warfare raging around the country and opted into our lovely, comfortable, pleasurable lifestyle, they took the hit. So what's our response to this? Number one. We must expect it. Matthew 24, verses 9 to 13. Jesus said that the bad times will come. Many will be killed. The Apostle Peter was crucified upside down, and he said this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Since Christ suffered in the body, arm yourselves with the same attitude. Expect it. Number two, understand it can be for our own good. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, Blessed are you when you are persecuted, because great will be your reward. So I look forward to attending a prayer meeting where we're rejoicing because we're being persecuted. Have you ever been in a meeting like that? Well, you may be in the future. The Apostle James was killed by the sword and he said in James chapter 1 verses 2 to 4, Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking in anything. This is good for our spiritual development, friends. But I've yet to hear some of the most popular Preachers on our mass media give messages along these lines. So we, it can be for our own good. Number three, determine in advance, determine to forgive. A country which is more dangerous for Christians than Saudi Arabia is the little country just over the waterway from Saudi Arabia called Eritrea. It is the North Korea of Africa in terms of Christian persecution. And Elihu was imprisoned in a small dark cell underground for three years. And then he was taken up into the sunlight, tied up, And bound with metal rings on his ankles and his feet, and that part of the world is extremely, blazingly hot. And so for a month he was out in the open as the metal just burnt into his flesh. And then they took him to another cell, and for five months he was in this cell just 70 meters by 70 meters. Couldn't sit down, couldn't lie down, couldn't do anything. If he wanted to sleep, he'd still have to stand up for five months. That is very physically harmful. And he said this. I could have freed myself at any time by denying Jesus, but I would not. I forgave my persecutors. And so I was free while still being incarcerated. Jesus said we're to forgive everyone, Luke chapter 11, verse 4, everyone that sins against us, and that will include persecutors. And it does have a remarkable effect. Other people watch and see it. The next king of Saudi Arabia is the current prince, Muhammad bin Salman. And he's reported as saying that when Muslim extremists kill Christians, We note the Christians forgive them. And the Muslims are drawn toward this love and forgiveness and they're beginning to inquire about Jesus. Determined to forgive. Number four, be encouraged by the example of others. In Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 to 16, it speaks of the great tribulation. And a vast crowd gathers there before the throne of God. And these were those who were, oh, had been overcome, but now they are the overcomers because they did not shrink from death, it says in Revelation 12 verse 11. And we are already living in the presence of some of these amazing super saints. Maheddi Dibaj was an Iranian Christian leader and he was sentenced to death because years before he had left Islam and finally the government caught up with him. He would not repent and go back to Islam so he's officially an apostate, therefore as a male former Muslim, the penalty is very explicit, he's to be killed. But before that happened, he was given permission to address the court. And this is what he said in part. I would rather have the whole world against me, but know that almighty God is with me and know that I have the approval of the God of glory. Life for me is an opportunity to serve God and death is a better opportunity to be with Christ. Had you been standing before the judiciary and were given one last chance to say something, (laughs) what would you have said? In 2018, the communist government of China, just last year, unleashed another wave of oppression against Christians. And so in September last year, 344 pastors signed a letter and they sent it to President Xi Jinping. And they said, For the sake of the gospel, we are prepared to bear all losses, even the loss of our freedom and our lives. Is it any wonder that the church in China is growing and growing in proportions the like of which we've never seen in the whole of our history with leadership like that? In Central Asia... It's been a tough place for many years. But we can learn from our brothers and sisters there. They have a a wonderful saying in the face of persecution. They say this. When you are persecuted thank God that you have not been thrown into prison. And if you've been thrown into prison, well thank God you have not been beaten. And If you've been beaten, thank God that you have not been killed. And if you've been killed, thank God that you're with him in heaven. (laughs) What an attitude. But their attitude is more biblical than many of us. From a human perspective, it's not all bad news. Sometimes, for whatever reason, Jesus chooses to intervene. Not so long ago, 500 former Muslims, who now Christians, gathered in one place, thinking that if they came together in that sort of number, 500 of them, they would be safe. They made a mistake. When night fell, the group was attacked. Everyone scattered. And 76 men, women and children were captured. The four leading men were taken out and, of course, uh, invited to return to Islam. They declined, so they were killed on the spot. And then the leaders of this particular group called Boko Haram, they spoke to the wives of those men and they said, Okay, now we're coming back tomorrow or whenever, and we're going to ask you and all of this party to come back to Islam. So be ready for us. But if you don't, we won't kill you. We will kill your children in front of you. It's okay for me to make a decision and be killed for it, but if the decision I take is going to kill my innocent children, then that is a heap of pressure. So the women naturally were very concerned and talked it out amongst themselves, this way, that way, and eventually a couple of the children came to see the parents and said, Jesus has come to see us, and he has told us, when he visited us, not to worry. He would be our protector. At the appointed time, the Islamist group returned and said, Well, what's your decision? And the mothers said, We will not come back to Islam. So the children were lined up ready, aim, and as they were, had their rifles ready to shoot and kill a lot of them, suddenly all of the riflemen dropped their, just dropped and started to scream, we're being attacked, we're being attacked, snakes are all over us. And they ran away and some of them dropped dead from fright on the spot. Another as he ran away dropped his rifle and a little child ran after him as he tried to shoot at those guys running away. No, no, don't shoot, don't shoot. Can't you see the men in white, they're fighting for us. The angels had turned up and rescued them. I know these things are difficult for us to understand in our comfortable, usually non miraculous environment. That this is what happens. An Iraqi Yazidi who'd become a Christian, because he was a known Christian, he was brought out, invited to become a Muslim. He declined, so he was stoned and he was tortured. And then they got petrol and poured it all over him, about 20 or 30 litres of it, and lit it, and up went the flames. But his body was unhurt. They did that three times. They used 80 litres of petrol, and still his body was unhurt. They went away. Prior to the event, he'd been visited twice, he says, by Jesus himself saying not to worry. He would be protected. Those stories are are encouraging, but friends, it doesn't always work out like that. For whatever reason, Jesus may not intervene. But one thing will be certain, where persecution is greatest, the church will grow fastest. As was said way back in the early centuries of the church fathers, that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It was 1 a.m. in Darfur on March the 1st, 2018, just prior to Easter last year. Can you remember back that far? You weren't here in this lovely place, but you were in a pretty good place anticipating Easter and having a good time together. And Pastor Stephen was asleep in his home with his wife and his two daughters, both aged in their 20s. He'd been tired. He was tired because he'd been busy in the bazaar, in the marketplace, preaching. And that very day, 56 more Muslims had responded to his preaching. But there's a little problem Others were very unhappy with the effects of administering. They warned him. They said, you stop this or we take you out. He wouldn't stop. And so at 1 a.m. in the morning, suddenly the door is smashed in and six guys walk in with huge machetes. We told you you had to stop and you did not. So then they bind him up and his wife and his children and give the invitation to come to Islam, which is denied. And so then, using their machetes, they cut off the arms, the legs of his wife his wife and his daughters. And he had to watch it all. But all during that event, he gave himself to worship, singing a local popular hymn, the stress of which was Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. He gave himself to worship in the most extreme times while his family's being murdered. And then they come to him, cut off his arms, cut off his legs, cut off his head. But that wasn't the end of it. Nearby in a church building, 130 former Muslims were sheltering there for protection. So these guys went there, surrounded the place with others. They burned the whole thing to the ground, hoping to kill a lot of them. None of them were injured. That wasn't the end of it either. Because a few days later, there was the funeral of Pastor Stephen and his family. The pastor came from the next country and conducted that funeral and preached powerfully. And because of the life and the ministry and the witness of Pastor Stephen and his family, on that funeral time, 214 more people gave their lives to Jesus. And it kept up. And so Good Friday, last year, while you were having a great time, out there in that place, and I wasn't here in Australia to join in your good time, but out there on that day, Good Friday, they baptised another 468 new believers. And the church membership in this very hostile zone increased to 1,368. Hey, wouldn't it be great, Pastor Sean, if that sort of persecution broke out here and the church exploded in growth? Who's the first volunteer? (laughs) In Revelation chapter 17 verse 1, it says, The Lamb will overcome because He is Lord of lords and King of kings and with Him will be called all of His chosen and faithful followers. But to win that victory that already cost Jesus his life. And he invites us to follow him with similar conditions attached to our lives. But look beyond these particular events. If we really believe that there is life after death, there is glory to be in heaven, we will welcome this. We won't shy from it or run away or hide or cry or blame God for bad times. We'll look through death beyond. And understand that these things produce a much greater harvest. John chapter 12 verse 24. Unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. In February 1979, Ayatollah Khomeini returned to Iran and ushered in the Islamic Revolution. At that time, there were just 500 Muslim background believers. Persecution broke out and continues savagely across Iran. But today, there are over 500,000. Muslim believer or Christians who were Muslims in Iran alone. And that sort of thing is happening in country after country. One of the countries to which I go and the world says, there are no Christians there. They've all been killed. Well, in a sense, that's true. What they don't know is what's happening underground. And that is now estimated to be the country which has the second fastest growing church in the world. And I'm so glad that few people know about that and mostly people don't know about it. That's the way it needs to be protected for a while yet. A few months ago I was over in Ethiopia and for 17 years they endured a brutal brand of communism. Hundreds of thousands of people were killed and disappeared. But today in the northern province of Ethiopia there are eight to 900 people Thousand former Muslims who are now followers of Jesus. And what's happened in Ethiopia is very similar to what happened in Australia at the same time. We had a Prime Minister called Malcolm Turnbull. The party, for whatever reason, was uncomfortable with him, so they shunted him out, and amazingly, this guy Morrison appears. And over there at about that time, they had a Prime Minister. They were unhappy with him, so the party shunted him out and brought in another guy. And his name, as, he, he's a, um, a former Muslim, and his name is uh, Ahmed. Last Christmas, on Christmas Day, he took on national radio and he spoke to the entire nation about the significance of Jesus coming to earth and the difference that that has made to his life. Can you imagine that? I mean, we rejoiced because Scott Morrison spoke at the opening of uh, Hillsong the other day. Great, but here's a guy speaking to a nation of 120 million, all of them listening to him as he testifies about Jesus. In 1953, there were 660,000 believers in China. In 2008, the government representative said, well, we're not sure how many Christians there are now. We think it's about 130 million And a recent Chinese demographer has calculated that the current rate of increase goes on then by the year 2030 the Christians may number 240 million. And President Xi doesn't realise that the more he pressures and persecutes the faster they're going to grow. The power of the communist government of China is great. The oppression of Islamic governments is great. Also great and powerful is the seductive persuasion of capitalism and wealth. But greater than all of these combined is the power of Jesus. Every year I'm over in West Africa, in a country there which Islam has increased by 100% in the last 10 years. And in one particular area, West Africa is Voodoo has been the main religion. That's demons and animism and so forth. And Islam lays over the top of that. It doesn't deal with what's underneath. But I'm over there meeting with uh, former Muslim guys, teaching them how to make disciples and so forth. And recently in a burst of zeal, they went out to a particular place and they started to speak in this village. In the middle of the village, there was this huge tree They called it their idol tree because their main demon and his acolytes lived there with him. And as the Christians were preaching, the tree became very disturbed and the local people noticed their tree was being upset. And so they went off to the police and and, uh, told the police, asked the police to come and get these Christians to be quiet. The police came and... As I'm listening to this story, which was a couple of weeks ago, I thought maybe they maybe there was, they, they had instruction from Bob Brown, the Greens leader down in Tasmania, protect the tree. It's the poor tree is being disturbed. So the police came and asked the guys to desist. They they moved away, but as they moved away. A bolt of lightning fell from the heavens, stripped the center out of the tree, lifted the whole thing out of the ground and smashed it down on the side. And uh, if the guys up the back can bring up that image for me, I hope, <laughs> so that you'll know what this is about. Uh, well, maybe they will, maybe they won't. But that is an example which mirrors what happened in 1 Kings 18 when it was Elijah up on the top of Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. And the bolt of lightning comes down and burns the sacrifice. And that's exactly what God did in this occasion over there in West Africa. So the God of 1 Kings 18 is the God of 2019. We may not get that image up, but Don't worry about it. You'll just have to take my word for it. Just as it was with that man who was burned with 80 litres of petrol, that's reminiscent of Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, into the fire, the blazing furnace they go. And there with them is a fourth man walking and Nebuchadnezzar saw him. The son of man walking in there. The same thing today in today's world. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. As we travel this road into the future, as I say, well, I was encouraged by the fact that Colonel Sanders, when he was 88, was a billionaire. I'm not sure what what I want most, to live to 88 or to be a billionaire. I'll have either of them, actually. (laughs) But I may not be here in 35 years. But I know that there is a road to be travelled. And in the face of danger and death, what is to be our response? I would suggest we need to be like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, And that area where they live was in today's Iraq. And to King Nebuchadnezzar they said this. We do not defend ourselves... If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us. But even if he does not, we will not serve other gods. So whether it's Daniel 3 or 1 Kings 18, still God is with us. Question, who's ready to prepare themselves to walk the Calvary Road with me Where Jesus walked. The outcome may well be the same in every regard. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of our brothers and sisters overseas in these countries where week by week they are hard pressed, they're starved, they're imprisoned, they're beheaded, they're separated, they're killed. They flee. Some go to other countries as refugees. And here we have this amazing opportunity of affluent, comfortable Australia. We are mindful of our Lord's words. That there, yes, will be the wars, the rumors of wars. There will be the earthquakes and the hatred and the gospel preached to all people. And we are almost at that point around the world. Therefore, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. Firstly, that we'll be mindful and sensitive toward the needs of others where we can help we will. Secondly, that when our time of testing comes, we will not resile, we'll not withdraw, we'll not pull back. But we will stand. Not with a line in the sand. But we will stand upon the rock, Christ Jesus. And we will not be moved. Therefore, Lord, while we thank you for this beautiful new facility you've enabled these, my brothers and sisters here to have, now cause your spirit to flow mightily amongst them in the days to come that not a single believer will be lost because of pressure from this community here. May they remain strong, firm, and steadfast unto the end that Jesus will be glorified in Capalaba. Brisbane, and around the nation and beyond. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today. And we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.